Good evening and welcome to this week's episode of This Week's Episode. I am your host, Emma Goldstein. With me as always is the vivacious Karen Randazzo. I've never heard it called that before. We just used to call everything our down belows. <laughs> and the ever scintillating Chris Randazzo. Sister Mary Francis, she wielded a hell of a paddle. Now this week on this week's episode, we have a very special guest. You may have, you may know him from such movies as The Imbibing Scribe. Please welcome Hunter Wilde. Hello. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Good, good, good. Now, uh, the way we normally work this is we do our normal three shows that we've all picked and then special topic at the end, uh, seeing as we have a guest who has places to go, people to see and things to do, we're going to switch it up a little bit. Um, we're going to do our feature topic this week, and as always, we do get spoilery. So, we're going to be talking the second season of Daredevil from Netflix, and in our second half, uh, um, Law and Order, at some way, shape, or form, we're going to be, I guess, spoiling something there. Um, <laughs> An episode from 1991. 91, so, yeah. okay. If you haven't okay. caught it. All right. Uh, Call the Midwife. I'm assuming that's going to be a more recent episode. Yes, the most recent. <laughs> And I'm hitting up the the very, very recent trial of the Incredible Hulk. So, let's get this started. <laughs> well, before we jump in, I just wanted to point out something uh, of Hunter's that our TV listening audience will probably recognize him from even more if they don't like beer, is he's also the guy who writes uh, Game of Spoilers, who was that which was our uh, first TV uh, recap series. So That is also correct. Good on, very good. good. On. Give him all the props that he deserves. <laughs> all uh, half of one. <laughs> well, you know, beer and Game of Thrones. I mean, I think that's enough to live an entire life on, right? I, I, I you're, Yes. <laughs> Seems to work for Hunter. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm doing fine. I got a nice uh, Great Lakes Dortmunder gold lager right here. Oh, you son you of see a that? bitch. Mm, delicious. Mm. Mm, delicious. I'll be over here with my water. <laughs> I'll be over here with my snot. <laughs> Ew, you, you really have to stop drinking those glasses of snot, sir. <laughs> so, not That's too not long the ago. First time it's just eggnog. It's just eggnog. God. <laughs> Holy shit, we're only like five minutes in and we're already off the rails. All right, a couple of, couple of episodes ago, we started to talk about Daredevil Season 2. Now... Karen and Chris, you only caught, I think, five episodes up to that point, five or six of them. It was five, yeah. So we decided that once you guys were done, uh, we would do an actual full recap uh, once, you know, we all got our full opinions going. Now, today, Chris brought to my attention that, that, uh, that Hunter here has an opinion. <laughs> and that he, that Chris really wanted to give him the platform to voice said opinion. Now, apparently in- Chris thinks people like me too much. Well, that's, I don't know, possible. <laughs> uh, up until well, about... I'll take you down a few pegs. Hunter and I have had a couple of email conversations back and forth about Daredevil, and I, I find his, his opinions on um, the topic, like, reasonable. Um, I don't necessarily always agree with him, but uh, I, I, I do find his, his explanations reasonable, and I thought it would be a really interesting conversation to have. It seems like every time you want to get someone together to talk with me, it's always a differing opinion. Like, you're the reason I, I talk to Dan every week about comics. <laughs> that's so true. I don't, I don't, I'm not 100% sure what that's about, but that's fine. Um, I've made it very clear that I am a fan of this show. 
I don't think they did anything wrong. I think it's perfect the way it is. I just wanted more. When we first discussed it, we were all on a high, and apparently you guys felt the same way. Now, after episode six, something went differently for you guys? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll jump in and say that for me, uh, it continued to be on, on a very high note until I think really the last episode was um, the, the, the part that was kind of a downer for me. Um, but uh, I think uh, Hunter's... Hunter's dissension started a little bit before that. And again, I don't want to, you know, bring him on the show and be like, oh, this guy hates Daredevil. Let's, let's make fun of him. Well, cause he's uh, never I, coming I, back. So that's fine. <laughs> no one will ever. I don't, I don't really think that was the, I don't, I don't think that was the case that he, that he hated the show or anything like that. It was, um, after we finished watching the first season of Daredevil, um, uh, we had a conversation about, um, uh, it wasn't, no, it was after, uh, Jessica Jones, I think. We were yeah. talking about, um, you know, comparing, uh, Jessica Jones to Daredevil, and I preferred Daredevil, and he preferred Jessica Jones. Because um, he likes so... the boobies. <laughs> right? Who um, doesn't? I mean, well, I mean, come on. Sure, but that's not my reason. I mean, he was a big <laughs> black guy, too, with those boobs were fantastic. Oh, wait. <laughs> Sorry. It's just that, you know, it's just this little opinion that I have that, you know, Jessica Jones is just immensely superior in every conceivable way. <laughs> just this little opinion, immensely better. Okay. Um, let's. <laughs> All right. Uh, where we left off was episode six, which is the. That was the jailing of the Punisher, right? That's where he, he got locked up. Mm-hmm. He has his thing with Wilson Fisk. He gets tried. I don't think we had gotten to the Fisk stuff yet. R- no, that he that's like s- episode 7 or 8 maybe. Yeah. But what ends up happening is Punisher gets caught, he gets arrested, he gets jailed, he gets tried, he freaks out, he gets jailed again, and there is this whole subplot of Kingpin fully running the jail. And he puts him into a situation where Punisher has to defend himself against, I don't know, like 400 guards or prisoners, <laughs> and he shivs every last motherfucker that was in the hallway. <laughs> that, that was pretty rad. That was, awesome. I mean, that that was, was pretty rad. incredibly badass. I, I, and I think what made it better was the fact that he was dressed all in white, so the contrast of all the blood that was all over him at the end made it that much better. Now, hold on. I just want to pause you right there. Because Go for it. I, I'm going to agree with you that visually that was amazing. Mm-hmm. But why exactly was the jail putting the newbies in white? Did they want them to die? I didn't understand. It's like you might as well just give them a target and make them walk around with a target on them. Well, unfortunately, I do know a little something about this. Newbies are dressed in different color. Yeah. I, Not I, necessarily white and orange, like those are the differences, but they are separated. I, I've seen that um like an orange is the new black when they bring oh, yeah, in that's new right, people. Yeah. It's like they're orange at first and then they go to khaki or something. Yes, uh, so uh, I think so that's an actual thing from real life jail. Then in that, Not that real I actual know. thing in real life jail seems idiotic. <laughs> <laughs> well, well what's really weird is the signs there, that they make them wear. I'm new. <laughs> kick me. Like that's just a little uncalled I'm for. I'm holding your pocket. <laughs> The dunce caps are a real problem because they're all pointy and shit. <laughs> we lose so many. So many. So, uh, Fisk, Wilson, Kingpin, whatever you want to call him, sets up the Punisher to die. That falls apart. Um, but then the plan twists to where 
if I'm not mistaken, Fisk gets him out, right? Yeah, that ends. <laughs> yeah, he wants to get, wants to kill Punisher, and Punisher's just like, I, I will kill everyone here, and he's like, all right, cool, we'll play a different game. You can leave and kill everyone else, and um, you just, you just do that for a while. I felt like his plan was a little bit like the gnome episode from South Park. It's like step one, underwear. <laughs> step three, world domination. Step two, we're a little fuzzy about. I'm not. Fisk's plan just seems like. <laughs> Yeah, what? but I liked it. He was just like, all right, so this guy, his mission in life is to kill all the bad guys. I want to be the top bad guy, but I'm stuck in jail. So I'm going to send this guy out to kill all the bad guys. And when I get out, I'm the king. Right, but that wasn't his original plan. No, no, See, like, no. if that had been his original plan, that's a good plan. I like that plan. I could be a part of that. Why he wanted him dead in the first place, I still didn't understand. I think it has his original plan was to get uh, the other guy who was the king of the prison to get him out of the way and then get Punisher, you know, have him die as part of that plan so that he Fisk couldn't be implicated. Yeah, I think mm. it was just like, oh, I sent him in there and then yeah, they both die and now I rule everything and there's nobody to, to you know, that who doesn't have my back. Because he knew he couldn't trust Punisher. Well, who could? Now- let me pause there and give probably my most unpopular opinion about this show, which is this. <laughs> I feel like there should be a fucking drum roll. <laughs> um, Wilson Fisk is a terrible character, and Vincent D'Onofrio is shitty in that role. And oh, I'm I'm sorry, we're breaking up. I think I'm losing I, I think Skype. We lost Hunter. Hello. Let me let me explain. First of all, <laughs> if your explanation does not include, I don't know how to speak English. <laughs> then I will not accept well, your explanation. This? The first time I saw the character, I thought, man, the guy from Criminal Intent really let himself go. <laughs> and um, he looks... I, originally, I said like a poor man's Lex Luthor, but I don't even think that's exactly right. I think he looks... Well, he looks like middle-aged pile. Middle-aged private pile is what he looks like. Well, and uh, okay. I don't find him intimidating in, in the least. And I don't find him smooth when he's talking to any, the, what's her name, Vanessa, in the least. So I didn't understand why she was attracted to him in the first place. I didn't understand why people were intimidated by him. And then when he was punching people, he was using these big clubby punches that weren't even real accurate punch throws. You're going to break your wrist that way, dude. And I didn't understand, he didn't look strong when he was lifting weights. It was like, that's so obviously a stage weight because he looks like he couldn't lift a piece of paper. And so... He just looked like a fat dude, and as a f- robust individual myself, husky. I'm not, husky. That's not we a prefer criticism. the term husky. Uh, that's not exactly a criticism, but it's a saying. You know, as a bad guy, I don't understand why he's even that scary. And then, where exactly does his money and power come from? I'm still really murky on that. And he just seems like a really poorly defined character. It's not really drawn out how he gains any power at all. His his childhood makes him sympathetic. So why anyone would be worried about releasing that smoking gun they found in season one doesn't make any sense to me either. I would think he would want to release that. Yes, I killed my father, but I did it in defending my mother because he was an abuser. He would have gotten so much sympathy for that. It would have made his takeover of the city even better. So my problems go way back into season one to the point where I believe I said to Chris, if he's the big bad guy in season two, I ain't watching it. And... I was so happy when it was The Punisher and when I actually took two full days off of my watching schedule when Fisk came back because I couldn't even handle that 
that he was back. <laughs> it didn't even make any sense to me that he would be back in the least. And so his murky plan to take over the world seems f- like the, one of the plot holes just continuing to be a plot hole in Daredevil, which, by the way, let me be clear, I think is an enjoyable show, and I like it. And there are things I like about it, but that makes the problems that much stickier. Okay. Anyway, that's my feeling. Okay. Absolutely. I my note Everyone's says, entitled to their opinion, even if they are wrong. No- everybody's my, entitled to them. I believe my note says, I hate this character, and D'Onofrio doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can agree with the murky background, definitely. Uh, and I can agree with him not being smooth or attractive to, as a woman. Uh, I do find him intimidating just physically. I, you know, maybe it's just, uh, just that he's an imposing, I find the character imposing. Um, but I, I will say that I was glad to see him back this season for one reason, and that was the scene in the, uh, I guess the interrogation room with Matt Murdock. That, yeah, that scene was, pretty cool. was fucking off the chain. Literally. Both- I, I mean, and I, I, I mean, D'Onofrio's okay, but I thought they both brought it in that scene. Right. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of D'Onofrio, and I, I will say that when Hunter <laughs> <laughs> explained this to me um, in the first place, his, uh, his dislike of um, Fisk, I don't have that necessarily. I didn't really have that problem necessarily because I know the character already from previous forms of entertainment. So I guess I wasn't really thinking about you know, how he rose to power and all that business based on this interpretation of the character. But when he brought that up to me, I thought it was a pretty valid concern. You know, he, he come in the situation that he grew up in, I find it hard to believe that he was able to uh, amass all of that wealth or that he would, <clears throat> I guess, take enough after his dad to want to be that. But um, in this thing, when he, uh, th- they showed the process of him taking over the prison, I kind of, I finally got that. It's like, okay, this is how this guy works. He's really good at finding who does what, why people are doing what they're doing, and then manipulating that. Like all the meticulous notes he was taking, and finding the right people to pay so that he could, you know, get the ends. The problem that I have is that where did he get all this money in the first place? Because this problem was being solved, yes, by you know greasing all the right wheels, but it also required all the rest of his money. So where how money throwing money at things seems to be his biggest weapon besides him being you know a big strong dude um so where he got all his money in the first place is still a little murky in my mind but i was happy to see him come back because i like i like those kinds of tie-ins you know it's it just it works so well for universe building that he was there for what two episodes Mm -hmm. and it's like it just means it's it works so much more for me to have that just little bit there in the background so that it's like, yeah, they may have wrapped this story up in season one, but he's still in this world. Like the, this character was enough of a big deal that he's worth, you know, bringing back into the conversation in some way, shape or form to help forward with the plot. So I was a big fan of seeing him again. And I personally think that uh, D'Onofrio's performance of him is freaking awesome, but I can understand looking at that and being like, yeah, that's just kind of goofy. Instead of that's, you know, freakish and intimidating. Because I feel like he's really skating that line of, you know, big creepy cartoon character and big scary dude. So I can understand that uh, particular point of view, though I do not share it. Well, as <laughs> as you were saying, the character of Kingpin, his, his actual power is manipulation. 
granted in the comics they have given him strength and maneuverability and all of that stuff but even in the first season we saw that he had his fingers in just about every criminal activity going on drugs um weapons all of that stuff and granted it it didn't show him from day one through current it showed past and current it it did give snippets into what he was involved in yeah i guess just i can't see that little kid that scared kid turning into you know the kingpin but i mean i guess there's always the future like this shows that the show no matter what my issues with it are the show is damn good it's one of my favorite things on television i i like itch to watch it when it's on so I'm happy about it. Well, it's true. He really like he was like didn't care what else was on that airs week to week. He was like, nope, you need to watch more Daredevil. And I was like, mm, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I liked it, but not like not like you liked it. Mm. Well, we have Punisher kicking the shit out of everybody. He gets out sneakily through. I think he was just disguised as a SWAT team person. Yeah, he gets out and sort of vanishes up until the end of the season. Um, meanwhile, we have the interaction between the Murdoch and Nelson team, which I thought was some of the better television that they were showing. Um, like I said before, I would agree with that. I thought Foggy Nelson's character improvement from season one to season two was astronomical. Good God. Yes. There's only one thing they can do to improve Foggy at this point, and that's give him a fucking haircut. <laughs> I love Foggy Nelson so much, but that hair has got to go. You, or, I mean, he could go the other way. We just uh, caught up on uh, Mockingjay Part mm-hmm. Two, the movie this this week, which is horribly behind of us. But he's in that, um, and he has longer hair and a beard, and that really worked. But the, what he's got now, mm, no. <laughs> so that mid level hair with it, no it, facial it, hair doesn't do it for you. And the slickness, the slick back doesn't yeah, do him any favors. It's, ugh, yeah, dude. it's it's not it's not either. Good. Go full man bun or get some like oh not the man bun. No man bun. No okay. man bun. It's well, a man bun had, free zone. Yeah. Listen, he had it in the movie and it worked okay. <laughs> it worked more or less okay. The movie it, on the it other was hand, a post apocalyptic. <laughs> It was a post-apocalyptic future, though, so maybe maybe that's like man buns are a last resort. <laughs> so to progress with the story, um, we have the, that section, but while all of that stuff is going on, all that drama is increasing because Murdoch or you know, Daredevil is moonlighting <coughs> with Elektra this entire time. Um, or as I like to call it, fake Catwoman. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> um, Hunter's views in no way, shape, or form reflect those of this week's episode. Please file all emails, tweets directly to him. Um, we get a little more backstory behind their relationship. Um, I'm pretty sure within after that episode five was the scene where we see how fucking insane she is with the kidnapping of the guy that killed his father yeah that, yeah that was that was i gotta say i did not really like electra that much i was nope. at no point in the series was i rooting for her <laughs> i don't think that was the point i think I, actually i'm gonna disagree with chris here and in a positive way for the show <laughs> i uh 
I while I said she's fake Catwoman, which I would I stand by that statement. Um, <laughs> I, um but that's okay because Daredevil in some ways is kind of fake Batman, so it's okay. Oh so, my god! Why um, did you even bother watching this fucking show? Hunter does not want to come back on our show. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> he just wants to get it out now so. and run away. <laughs> that's all right. Look, look, I've. I am not a comic book guy. I don't. I don't. That's not my favorite medium. But the, I am pro superhero, and the movies in, about superheroes I actually generally really like. So, uh, what I was going to say was this: I felt similarly about her character at first, but I actually thought uh, the that scene that uh, Evan was talking about is where I really started to get into her character, because first off, it was really well acted. Um, by everybody involved, including the guy who's getting his ass beat. Um, but I thought that um, she was so clearly conflicted at the end of that scene um, that, you know, I think it started to make make you understand that there was something about her that she did not like. And she's grappling with this demon because she's essentially a serial killer who doesn't want to be a serial killer. Right. And well, I think and that's she's pretty she's, awesome. She spends the from it seems like from this point in the story on, she spends fighting herself. We see her scenes as a child, uh, the, the shit with stick, like she keeps flip flopping back and forth between oh I am this killer person, there's no changing me, and then back to the I want to be good, I want to be the person that you see me as. Matt. Yeah, she was recovering in Matt's bed, and oh, I love you, and I'm gonna stop killing, and I'm gonna be who you want me to be. Five minutes later, she slits the guy's throat. I don't even think it was five minutes. I think it was like a half a breath, and then she jumped on that motherfucker. <laughs> Although, and let's be it. clear, the guy was attacking Matt, so you know, sh- her being aware of who these people were knew he needed to die. The problem was that she enjoyed killing him. Yeah, that's yes. the problem. Yeah. The fact that she killed him doesn't negate that she wants to be good. The fact that she enjoyed killing him is the problem. Mm-hmm. Now, we get all that. There's the scenes between Punisher and Karen. Let's just say that the show should be called Karen. I'm <laughs> on board. She's the best <laughs> character in the whole thing. Oh, wow. You really you watched a completely different show. Because that know, is I, absolutely, I'm, absolutely one hundred and ten percent incorrect. Because unless the show is about, I'm almost gonna cry. Uh, may, uh no, I'm not gonna. Cry. I thought Karen was a fantastic character. Not, I'm, I'm. Ooh, I still thought. I mean, I still like Daredevil. I guess better, but uh, Karen is. I thought Karen was phenomenal. I love, I love her evolution from episode to episode. Like that character's evolution is is really interesting to watch. I will, agree. Yeah. Uh, I will agree. Side that it note, is. Chris may be biased towards people named Karen. <laughs> if you know me, that's Sup- not 100% true. <laughs> I, I, I know it's a, it's a 50-50 shot. So um, I don't I, – I agree that it was – she had an interesting storyline. Uh, it was nice to see her grow because she, she did grow from season one to season two. Absolutely. I Tons. personally believe that she was the weakest aspect of this season. Um, I personally believe you're crazy. You are NVTS nuts. (laughs) She was literally non-committal on just about everything. If by non-committal you mean grappling with demons that were bigger than anything that could be shown on one TV screen, then yes. (laughs) I mean, she 
she like stuck with that Punisher thing. She needed some some nudging, but like she's she is a normal person, and she yeah, was. This is not a, this is not a this is not a realm for normal people. Yeah, but it is a realm for normal people. That's what makes this so interesting. So it's like this is this is the world. This is what I like so much about these Netflix shows is that they show the effect of the world around these people with superpowers. Like, um, what's her name? Hellcat in, um, in Jessica Jones. I was just as interested in her as I was in, in Jessica's story. You're going to have to and help me was, out. Hellcat? Her, her um, best the friend. blonde girl, her, her best friend. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, She's like, based she, off a comic the, character called Hellcat. Gotcha. Yeah. And, um, like that, that evolution, uh, you know, that watching that character experience all this stuff and beat herself up for not having superpowers and, going through all that intense training and all that stuff to try to make sure that she's able to protect herself. It's, it's those kinds of things that I find interesting and watching Karen who was damaged to begin with had uh, her, this dude she wanted to date with murdered in front of her framed for said murder um, attempted on her life dozens and dozens of times uh, killed a guy at gunpoint. who was like Fisk's assistant uh, had friggin' uh, uh, a guy that she looked up to then killed uh, in Ben Urich. Like, this woman should be a puddle on the floor of an insane asylum. And the fact that she is not and that she continues to find strength is, I think, a really remarkable thing to watch because she does need the people around her to help her find that strength. But that she was so... But see, like, that, that exact point, she didn't have any any storyline on her own in this entire season everything that involved karen in some way shape or form involved someone else all the time do you well, like with who, daredevil who in the show with, didn't involve somebody with else daredevil we get at least a snippet about his specific past but his specific I'm past always gonna, involves somebody else too yeah and i'm actually gonna i i think my favorite part about how they've handled karen is how they've handled her backstory I wish I, I think you know what one of the things the fact it's all alluded to, but the exposition yeah the is fact that she seems to have through. killed somebody before that little newspaper flash well, in a team car. kills somebody else in a car crash or something like that and yeah an editor guy being like you know I don't care let's move forward kind of a thing like and the fact that Ben Urich knew that about her to begin with and they move right past it like all the the show keeps alluding to the fact that. You've seen all the fucked up things that have happened to her on the show, but she was really fucked up before that, and that comes through in her performance and the, the subtle hints to it without flat out showing all of that. And in the little speech that she made at the end of the very last episode where she's talking about, like, I came to New York looking for something because I was trying to get away from all this mm -hmm. other shit that happened before that you guys haven't even seen. Mm -hmm. um, and now, and, and and her, like, coming to the fact that, like, now she doesn't even know if she's going to stay, you know, yeah, I after all that she's, she's been through. She may be the toughest character in the whole show, I, I think. I, um, you know, certainly mentally. And... I, I just think, you know, I guess the type of exposition that I enjoy is stuff that's sort of doled out to you in little snippets that leads you, leaves you wanting more, but that also walks, there's a fine line between that and having no backstory. And I don't think she has no backstory. I think her backstory is fed to you in little snippets that keep you following the trail. Okay. Which is not the same thing as Black Sky. <laughs> Which is not the same thing as Black Sky. 
<laughs> what the fuck is Black Sky? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what what Black Sky is is season three. That's what I'm assuming. It friggin' better be because I thought Black Sky was going to be season two, or was it, it was lazy writing. <laughs> <laughs> The the one thing that I wasn't a fan of with this season was the immediate splintering of all of the storylines. What ends up happening is they all become very on their own with minor, minor crossovers back and forth. So it was almost as if you were watching three or four different shows that happened to be taking place at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the to, to, to that point that you're making... It, it 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 goes directly to why I was disappointed with the end of it because that would that was I was forgiving that like I was also not thrilled with it but I was forgiving that because if they pulled it all together in the end then I would be super happy and well, uh, in my humble opinion that did not work now continue I'll go well, into more detail in a bit the the only thing that kept slicing through from story to story and it didn't even cover all of them was foggy him being the 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 only lawyer working on the punisher case him having the i, I guess you can call the, the 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 interstitial that was the night nurse scene that was one of the most powerful scenes that i saw in the entire show that scene was rad um, yeah that was great and him being the driving force of like the underlying driving force of just the show keeping the show moving like every time like Matt would get lost in whatever little bullshit he was having with Electra, he was the one sitting on the side going, yo, douchebag, you have a job that we are supposed to be doing. And it was almost as if he was saying, people are watching the show. We need to progress with this storyline or people are going to get pissed off. <laughs> he, he even tied in a, a little bit to, uh, to uh, Daredevil finding the ninjas like, you know, when, when Matt went back to the office and Foggy was there and he's like, he's looking at maps or something and Foggy's like, well, my granddad was a bootlegger and you should look in these train tunnels. Oh, like, yeah, he was a what po- the fuck, Foggy? <laughs> like, how do you know that? Well, it was his grandfather. Come on now. It was now. awfully convenient. <laughs> but I liked that. That's what I, I love well, about I'm not that saying character. I didn't like it. I'm just like, well, we Foggy's been in every other element of the story. Foggy How can we get him into this ago. one? And you know what? It it actually what it said to me was, um, hey Matt, you know those friends that you're pushing away? If you had trusted them from the beginning, you would have known this days ago. <laughs> if you had would have trusted these people and let them in, this would have been an eight episode season. We could have been out of here like four or five earlier so or we could have done a spent a little bit more time tying it all together what's the matter you didn't like the the quick wrap-up at the end with the the vase okay vase of electra and the the (laughs) it was the stuff it was the stuff before that um so they're they're on the roof there's like ninjas on top of ninjas there's an arm an actual army of ninjas Mm -hmm. right an actual army we're talking like 12 or 13 ninjas Except there were yeah. like 50 at one point, and then there were Exactly. 12. They yeah. showed the scene where there was the army of ninjas. It looked like at least 50 to, to 100 of them crawling all over the roof on their way to them. Made it to the roof. There was like six dudes. I and thought I that was like, okay, the problem. I'm sorry. When are the rest of them X-Men showing up? Three, when they start to lower the bridge and it's daylight and they get to the ground and it's dark. <laughs> I thought that was as bad as that. It was. It was ridiculous. And then they're... 
doing all the 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 fighty 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 whatever electra dies um and then punisher snipes a couple of guys so that matt can go after other guy where why where did he come from was he there the whole time how did he know that he was going to be there how did he know that daredevil was there how did he know that there were ninjas was he just sitting up there watching and eating popcorn while electra died just waiting uh here's my moment now i'm gonna snipe folks Yes. I I think I I <laughs> I was I was thinking about this cuz I totally agree with your, you know, criticism here. But when they were, you know, going he was going through the the Punisher lair and setting up his shit and like, "Oh, I found all these weapons. I'm going to spray paint the logo on my bulletproof vest." There were a bunch <laughs> of police scanners. The <laughs> there no, but there were a bunch of radios mm-hmm. and police scanners and so I figure that's not that this was very clear from the show, but I actually that that's how he actually heard you are absolutely that correct. shit was going down there. Because the, the, the guy that he stole them from specifically said that you will get every band on there, even the you know, the secret secret special ones that nobody hears. And if that's the case, if that's how he learned about it, then he wouldn't have found out about it until the actual the police actually showed up, which was, you know, halfway into the fight. So I could see him having gotten there late and not in time to <laughs> save Electra. Not that any of this this is all like headcanon here. But exactly. So TV not only that like, let's let's go ahead and buy people. that. <laughs> let, let, let's go ahead and buy that and say that that was the situation. Why are you going to waste Punisher like that? You have a situation where you've got an army of ninjas and a pair of people that fight like ninjas against these ninjas. How much more awesome would it have been if they threw the Punisher into that mix? First off, the guy's good enough at close quarters combat to stand up to Daredevil. So he's clearly good enough to fight a handful of these hand ninjas. And even if he wasn't, dude is armed to the teeth. I would love to watch a battle of ninjas that are somehow prepared to you know, face off against all these automatic weapons, or just watch the Punisher totally mow down a fucking bunch of ninjas. (laughs) Like, there's your explanation as to why there's only eight on the roof. The Punisher took care of the rest of them for him, or something like that. Gatling gun. Do something to tie that character back into this. There was a Gatling gun there. He could have done so. (laughs) He looked at it quite longingly. Yes, he did. And and that is my my huge issue with the end of the show is that they spent so much time building him up and then establishing him as the Punisher. And then they had this big finale and they didn't tie it into that at all. The big finale was 100% Daredevil, Electra, Black Sky. They had a great opportunity to really do something special with the Punisher, to really, really do something, finish that off. They went two thirds of the way there. And then they said, he's chilling on a rooftop and he sniped a couple of guys and gave a a loving nod to Daredevil. (laughs) What was that bullshit? You had him. Again, let's let's call back to X-Men 3. This is as bad as having Juggernaut and a Colossus in the same movie and not having them fight. Like it was That was just, pretty dumb. It was so ridiculous. How do you not use that character in this situation? Army of ninjas, dude who likes to kill dudes. Cause it's not Punisher's show. That's it. It's Daredevil. It didn't show. have to be Punisher's show. It was all they needed to do was have that thing in there, and then all the other stuff that was going on with Daredevil could have yeah. still been at the forefront of the story, but also paying off what they did, what they set up so long in the season doing is setting up Punisher. Have that payoff because no, it, it may not be Punisher's show, but they made it the Punisher show for the first half of the season. He was the focal point. 
And then they veered off into the hand thing, and it would have been really cool if they found a way to tie those stories together instead of making them feel so separate. Can I ask it a, was a just side a question, a complete side note? Did you guys pick up and be honest, because I'm gonna I'm gonna honestly say no, I didn't get this till the very, very end. Every time that they showed his uh X ray of his skull, like did you put that all together? You mean that, that was the punishment? That was gonna be the logo. That was good that was gonna be that's what he was gonna use to put onto his chest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nope. When the first time they showed that thing, it was like <laughs> <laughs> skull. <laughs> nope. Totally didn't see it at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know where my mind was, but I, I was like, yeah, I, I didn't think t- I'm like, I d- oh, see, my my <laughs> youthful wonder at the end made that part so much better. <laughs> that was for me when they showed the vest that had like the the teeth looked like the teeth of the skull on the right. bottom yeah, of it on the belt. Before you did any painting yeah, into it's the like, vest, yeah, it like, kind of yeah. looks like a skull already. That's so cool. Thank <laughs> you. I, I don't know that it was the first time I saw it, but it's certainly the most powerful one is after uh, the DA Reyes got killed and she was like collapsed dead on her desk with the picture right next to her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, yeah. oh. That was fairly obvious. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Still didn't see it. <laughs> I liked that bit where they had like, you know, they were framing Punisher for this stuff. And I thought that's where they were going to really tie that into the hand. And it just kind of didn't. I also really liked the fact that that, D.A. Reyes was in the end of uh, Jessica Jones and that they brought Hogarth into this one. I love that world building. It's it's nice, subtle, I, good I, world I building. I like that, that they did that as on top of the Night Nurse stuff. Yeah. Because the Night Nurse was the only... was That was really the only tie-in to from Daredevil to Jessica Jones, right? Yeah. Like, I would I, I think so. I, don't, I didn't see, but they added a little bit more to this. And... Mm-hmm. Another thing that I didn't get because I was I watched I dump watched this I binge watched this crazy, I stopped it before the credits finished on episode thirteen, so I didn't get to see the sneak peek of Luke Cage. Luke Cage. At- Did we watch that? Nope. Like I knew it was there. It, it was what I saw you was did? Only, it was only like I th- want to say twenty five seconds. And it's just him, and I think it's a boxing rink in like a, in a boxing gym, walking at these guys, and they're just shooting him, <laughs> pew pew. And he's like, "I am really tired of buying new clothes." Which I, I really want to see a, a boxing rink. Like uh, I want to see dudes fighting. Right, well, being, I guess that's just really, hockey. Really, really. <laughs> I have to say, it's just Luke hockey. Cage. Luke Cage is a dreamy black man. Yes, he, he is. is. He is a good-looking hunk of chocolate. <laughs> yes. There we go. See, I think, write what? that down, I don't Chris. even need to be here. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. <laughs> hey, I have a question uh, to someone who, who's familiar with the comic books. Go for Here's it. Here's my question. Is, I don't know, Matt Murdock's mother from Dorset, England, perhaps? <laughs> because if not, he needs a new dialect coach. Oh, yeah, I've heard this criticism before, and yeah. Um, oh my god, the long eye is the worst one. I, Oi. I think Oi. is he actually is Charlie Cox Irish? I no, think? he's uh he is. I looked this he's up. He's British. He is f- born in London, but went to school in Dorset, and that's a Dorset accent. That one where everything gets flattened out, so, and then gets really hard R's, sort of like pirate talk. That's Dorset. Hmm. I don't and know why that's what he never, sounds like. Never registers to me. Not like, even a ever. little bit. You want to know it's why? Because I watched him registered. kick the ever living shit out of like forty seven bikers in a hallway with a chain wrapped around his arm <laughs> and a gun taped to the other one. I didn't give a shit how <laughs> flat so his R's good. were. That was so good. 
Sorry. Because <laughs> some things we're willing to forgive. Fair enough. That's just Fair a general enough. thing with me. I that don't, was a small really, thing. Yeah, I don't really pick up on... Like, I know a lot of people complain about Rick on The Walking Dead sometimes, uh, or people would complain about House. Uh, like, Sullivan Stapleton. Who? What? Uh, Kurt Weller on Blindspot. Like, I, th- <laughs> the fact that he's a walking garbage disposal is one he, thing, but his but accent he, does not bother me at he all. He is a walking garbage disposal because he's actually Australian. <laughs> <laughs> I just know, ne- like, that's one thing that just doesn't connect with me. I just think people talk funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, You guys know, I, it sounds like you guys know more about Black Sky, I guess, from the comics because you- Nope. You, you, I no? don't. No? Nope. Okay. Nope. Because this is my this is my wasn't it the kid with... for the first season? Yeah, there was a kid in a truck. Okay. That was the black sky. What the fuck does that mean? Okay, but and yes, so that and and we don't know we don't know the answer to that question. And here we are at the end of season two. And what was the hole for? And why was there a rail car <laughs> full of dirt? What the fuck? <laughs> like they just totally dropped that. Well, if there was no move this dirt around hole, a lot of dirt. I think they were just looking for the vase. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I think the vase was buried, and they found the vase. But, the body. They made and you really, got that from what? They made guessing. a really, really big oh, the, deal about, like, first off, it must have been a pretty big vase, because uh, that was a giant hole. Seriously? And it was like, like the circumference of that. Exactly. They were trying to dig the China. Maybe maybe the the vase was actually just in China, and they had to go get it that way so no one would see them. See, what you don't understand about digging a hole is you have to make it as wide as you go deep. So That's what she said. <laughs> you're welcome. That was like a softball pitch to you. Thanks, Evan. <laughs> I, I, and my other issue with the end of the season is, boy, did the women on this show get the shit end of the stick. Yeah. Electra's dead. I mean, she's not dead. Well, no, she's she... going to come back. It's comic books, but she's dead. Claire is out of a job, and who knows what the hell is going to happen to her. And Karen... Who knows? I mean, the way she was talking at that in that last scene in Josie's bar, she might be leaving the city. And she knows Matt's Daredevil now, though, right? Yes. Yeah, that was the that, that was the end. Of the he episode. walked in and he took off the he took yeah. the the mask See, out of a bag. So. I assume she's going to become his Jimmy Olsen. That she's going to be, you know, writing writing I think articles. Oh about yeah, Daredevil. and that was that's. That's the Ben Urich character in Daredevil for at least a little bit mm-hmm. of it. Is Ben Urich is the is or is Jimmy Olsen? So yeah, I could see that. And, and I think that's a great way to go with that character. I just didn't get the uh, get the feeling that that's a hundred percent where she's going. I got the feeling from her last speech that she was like, yeah, "I don't know what I'm gonna do. Like, I'm not with Matt anymore. There's there, there's no Nelson and Murdoch. Uh, I don't know. What I don't I'm know. Gonna I do. think him showing her the mask is enough of a game changer where she would be like, "All right, I'm sticking around, but only because I got to know what the fuck." Yeah. Was that oh, yeah. scene before or after the bar? I think that was after the bar. Okay, it was like it was the very it was last the final scene. Cut. Yeah, that's that's then me misremembering shit because my brain's broken. And and Rosario's character, she's gonna find another job that's less intense than that fucking fucked up hospital that she was working at that just was okay with killing people. <laughs> yeah, and she's just I'm, gonna take care of superheroes. That's gonna be her thing. A I concierge am, uh, doctor, sort of like Royal Pains from USA, only for superheroes. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I was uh I was I was glad though, I was right about her that she did she never went back to Matt. Matt came back to her. Mm-hmm. The yeah. story brought her back in. She was strong enough to say, Nope, this is bullshit and I don't need it. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. 
There's hey. a blind guy here, some dying chick in your bed. You know what? I'm out. I'm, I'm fucking tagging out. <laughs> I mean, it, it seemed like trouble followed her because even when she was at her regular job, shit went sideways really quickly. Yeah. yeah. With well, all of those it, fucking this, gang this version of uh, This version of Hell's Kitchen, like any job at any hospital in that area is going to be shit for her. It's essentially the South Bronx, except it's on the west side of Manhattan. Yeah, and it seems now here's humongous. an interesting question. Which um, I mean, they obviously just picked that neighborhood because it's Hell's Kitchen and it's Daredevil, right? And, and yeah. you know, well, the real Hell's Kitchen is like just full of gays walking their dogs to brunch. Yeah, isn't it like three and blocks Terminal or something five. like that? It's very, it's yes, a very small and Terminal area. Five. So, hey, all right, I have. We're I have, talking about wait, wait, too many people asking questions. Okay, good. <laughs> Hunter, I have a, a a real actual philosophical problem with something, one aspect of this show. A real, real thing. Man, I really feel like I should buckle up for this one, but go ahead. Torture no, always works. Yes. What the fuck? It's the problem I had with 24. I stopped watching that show. It's something Donald Trump just said out on the stump that torture works. It just does. Okay? It's huge. I don't know. Um, Like, it doesn't always work. Okay, it in doesn't always every work. Television and in Jessica show, Jones, it doesn't always work. In every movie, the person always breaks like that's an actual thing they will say that no matter how good the military guy is no matter how good the hero is you they will break joker didn't joker's insane and neither did stick yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's, i I, it's, th- I think he would have broken i mean it was just past the the bamboo under the nails like that was which i could not shit, watch oh my that was, god it actually hurts my that fingers was, right now <laughs> that was an amazing scene and i winced while i watched it it was really good <laughs> Yeah. I couldn't watch it. No, I'm. I definitely agree with Joe. I don't. I think that this show should be smarter than that. It should. Like, be. I hold this show up to such a high standard, and the, you know the fact that torture always works. Like I guess I see what's going on with the whole thing with like it's it's um. Oh, come on, brain, you can do this. Um, he's he's beating up you know criminals and cowards and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess that level of intimidation would more or less might more or less work for them, but. I don't know. I feel like they could they could have been smarter about it. Like I don't like the fact that you know that is how it, it always works. Is that you know if he tortures a guy long enough or beats somebody hard enough, they'll eventually tell him not just what he wants to hear because you're beating him and they just want to say whatever they want you they whatever they think you want them to say to leave them alone. It's that they always get the right answer out of it. And the one that I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, that's the one that bothered that started me started bothering me was in this season um the the arms dealer guy the guy who was selling handguns to the criminals in the street mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i forget his name but if i we feel like he's it, from oz for some reason he may have been but um he he sees this the little baton go by and he goes like oh shit and then he like comes in and slams his hands in the fucking trunk mm-hmm. and his hands are broken and he tells him he doesn't know and he punches him and goes okay wait 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 i know something like that's so cheesy it's so cheesy and it's so it's just it, it wouldn't go down like that he would say do you know something and he would tell him some shit he wanted to hear and then he would go there and it would be wrong i would have less of a problem with it if occasionally the information they got from beating the shit out of people was wrong okay i'm sorry it's all right <laughs> You should be. I, my bad. I apologize. No, I, I, I agree. I think that would, um, I, it's, 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 it's almost a, 
difficult to expect that just because it's such a TV trope. But at the same token, like this, sh- I, I think these Netflix Marvel shows have really raised the bar as far as what we should expect out of um, comic book TV. And so I, I, on the other hand, I really don't mind holding them to a higher standard. And I, I, I think Hunter's got a good point. Like this show should, this show should be smarter than that and, and should think, and uh, think that through because it's not a, I, I agree. I don't think torture is the answer and I don't think it always works. And you know, it, it, Jessica Jones, it, she doesn't do that. She doesn't beat the shit out of people to get them to tell her information. She just doesn't. If well, you look no, at that she, show, she does detective work and right. gets yeah. her information. Right. Which, why, why can't Matt do that? Because he's a lawyer and a guy who beats people up. Well, maybe I <laughs> prefer that that didn't always work. Because, and here's the thing, is like, when it started to happen on 24 all the time, you actually had politicians citing 24 as a reason why torture should be legal. Oh, Jesus. Well, that's just stupidity because that's fucking TV. <laughs> but it happens. <laughs> and literally, the, 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 you can go back, you can look. There are people who would be like, we just got to get a little Jack Bauer on him. <laughs> literally, that's what they would say. So, like, I, Why not I think I take this shit seriously. Well, and again, Batman, uh, that does bother me in some iterations of Batman. Batman's uh, a lot more intimidation, though. I it mean, is more, at least in in the ones that the, the way that I've read the character, and for the most part, I mean, the the, the most enjoyable Batman stories I've read is it's it's inti- intimidation. Like they're scared that if they don't tell the truth, that he's going to come back and find them. <laughs> and the other thing too is a lot of times in the versions of Batman that I've enjoyed, he doesn't beat people up to get information. He beats people up to subdue them to give them to the cops. Once mm-hmm. he has the information, yeah. but he does detective work to get the information, and I think that that distinction is not something we should gloss over. You know okay. what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I, I take this shit very seriously. I think because it seeps into popular culture and it seeps into what everyone says, and it becomes part of the political discussion. That's true, and also just you know the general fact that obviously this is not a show for children by any stretch of the imagination, but it's still you know. A, I mean, I guess it kind of it leans a little bit into the fact that you know Daredevil is such a different kind of superhero because you know he is a very flawed superhero. Like Captain America doesn't you know, <laughs> beat the shit out of people to to get information, um, but Daredevil does. And I guess um, in the general pantheon of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that is kind of the difference between these people. And you know, Matt is a screwed up individual. Yeah, I th- I can. This is something that I don't know, Evan. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. Daredevil's reluctance to kill bothers me a little, because sometimes the damage that he does, you know, le- the way he leaves his victims, you know, maybe their life is uh, is worse than death when he gets done with them, and so I, I don't know, stopping and not killing people sometimes seems kind of arbitrary. I don't know. It, There's something about it I don't quite, it doesn't quite jive in my brain. Daredevil and and the characters within that sect of the Marvel Universe have always been closer to the, the side of anti-hero than mm-hmm. regular, straight up, red, white, and blue, good old American hero. They have been flawed, they have been damaged, they have been violent. Like, there was a run of comic books, I think it was just called Marvel Knights, 
like some of the some of the more violent issues came out from there. That's what led into the Max series of comics. And I I get it. I understand. I look at it differently because I have 30 fucking two years of comic book experience and I've seen every iteration of Daredevil. I've seen him all over the map. Um, this... I, I just, I think that they take this show down the path that it's going because it is something new. It is something different. It's something that we haven't really seen from the Marvel universe, from the Marvel cinematic side of things. Right, something we we haven't seen since the Nolan Batman. Well, we have been getting it the entire time on the DC side. The first season of Arrow was him being very, very killy, very, very shooty. Mm -hmm. Okay, and all of the... the body count in Batman v Superman most recently was astronomical. Okay, so DC has always had that very dark, very deadly side of comics. Marvel has not. Marvel has always had the oops death. I dropped a building because an alien invasion happened. Oops, people may have died. I don't know, man. Cap killed a decent amount of people in the war. Well, uh, I mean, like, I can think of a handful of really cool yeah, deaths. But- those were Nazis. Exactly, those were Nazis. But you know, uh, Tony Stark, he he definitely killed some people when he went on his rampage in the first Iron Man. Like, but the difference between that and Batman is the fucking time of day. Because it is daylight out and everything seems lighter, it's not as hard hitting. The 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 dreariness that is the DC universe. It's like yes, theoretically speaking, if you actually counted how many people died in Batman, Superman, and the fucking what was the the Avengers where they literally just shy had dropped the city? It could be pretty well, I close. Think the dif- yeah, but the difference there was that the heroes were actively trying to save people, and you know that that coin flip there was that in Man of Steel, Superman was not trying to save people except for that couple in the uh, Superman the subway Superman tunnel was when stein- he killed Zod. Was trying to stop the bad guy. Exactly at at any cost, not paying attention to anything that was happening around him. Okay. Whereas they made a big point in Avengers, like part of that conversation in Avengers was we need to get as many of these civilians to safety as possible. Okay. So Let, let's look at, let's think about the first one when they're, they they ravaged a city. Now they didn't mm-hmm. do it. Yes, an alien force did it, which is fine, but death toll is death toll is death toll. People died. So it's, it's, it's just, it's semantics. It's looking at it from, looking at the same thing from two different perspectives. I'm okay with the amount of death that was in semantics because there was so much emphasis put on the fact that they were trying to save people. There were scenes of the Avengers while fighting, also rescuing people. Mm -hmm. It it broke between fighting the bad guys that this is the onslaught and planning. And and it was a huge part of the conversation that there are civilians here and we need to protect them. And that was not a part of the only part of the conversation. It wasn't even part of the conversation of Man of Steel. It was just, and now we're fucking shit up. And then Batman v Superman, they did the Saturday morning cartoon thing. Oh, it's a Sunday. Those buildings are empty. <laughs> like It was terrifyingly awful. Mm-hmm. Um, people still died. People still died. I guess I don't really have a problem with, with Matt's, you know, in, in unwillingness to kill people because that's like, that's just shows, goes to show you that. That's how how little he is clinging on to for his own sanity. Like, that was a big part of the first season. Like, you know, can I kill somebody and still be okay? It's like, well, you're not okay to begin with, pal. But him not crossing that line of 
actively killing somebody is like what holds on to that tiny shred of sanity he's got in his head, you know? I guess that's a fair point. Yeah, and I think that it actually makes the 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 okay. This is my point. Uh, I'm going to make it a different way. I think my, one of my favorite things about Daredevil is the way they handle that conflict between vigilantism and real legal justice, and and the ease with which that line gets blurry between mm-hmm. vigilante and just you know hero and vigilante that crosses the line and becomes a terror in and of himself. Mm-hmm. And well, I think that that's and that really was cool. the point of the Punisher. Well, yeah, but I think it happens with Matt, too. And I think, you know, that's why he has that uh, that boundary line, which I guess it seemed arbitrary. I guess, uh, you know, it also, I think, reminded me very much of Dark Knight Batman and Nolan Batman and animated series Batman, where that was always the line. He would not kill. And so it just felt like it fit in with that vein of superhero. Um, but that you know he he's thinking about crossing that line and that's when the priest who i love that character sort of walks him back and you know doesn't give him an answer but walks him back from just flying off the handle to kill and says no you need basically a moral guide of some kind arbitrary as it may be it's the only thing that's going to keep you sane right and well that was always that has always been the grounding aspect of Matt Murdock is his yeah. faith. It's always been that way. Right. And I think that's great. And I think that would almost be not almost, it would be heightened if, you know, he was also beating people up and then all of a sudden someone he was beating up gave him wrong information. The fact that the torture always works actually works against the larger point they're trying to make in the show, I think. Okay. Word. So Word. is the horse dead yet? all right i've got i've got one last thing one last question to pose to the group uh hunter i don't know that you'll even know what we're talking about um do you think that black sky has anything to do with terrigen mists and or inhumans oh dear god no i have no idea no i feel like black sky has some kind of supernatural element to it obviously so yeah i i don't know it would be sure it would be neat to have that little connective tissue going on because i feel like Marvel is playing a very long game with oh, the Inhumans. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know. I do not understand this particular uh, end game with them because they've got what the Inhumans movie now coming out in what like 2030 or some crap like that. <laughs> um, but they've already started establishing that stuff in Shield. So I and don't they know. have been this entire well, more than this season. They started yeah. that shit last season, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I don't know. I would. It would I be don't, interesting. I don't think. I don't think it is. I think it has. I'm hoping that it doesn't, because I would rather it be more on the mystical side, like the Iron Fist and Doctor Strange shit that they're True, running yeah. with now. I want it to be more on that side and let that like the Terrigen Mist is is a mutant a mutant genetic It's a mutant thing that they just don't call mutant because that's X Men and they can't do that. So all right, that's my opinion. All right, so is it? Are we good? Do we, sure, do I feel we, good. We feel I feel good. good. Yeah, I. I mean, I don't want anybody to get the impression that we didn't like the oh, show. Oh, we love the sh- I love we, the shit out of this show. Yeah, I absolutely. We know you loved it. We're defending it. ourselves yeah, over okay. here. Like and we. I'm diving into this like this level of minutia about it because I hold the show to such a high standard. I absolutely love the crap out of this show. I love it. I love it. I cannot wait till it comes back for. 
whatever is going to happen with season three. I can't wait for Defenders. I can't wait for Luke Cage. This Netflix universe is phenomenal. It's just that I had a handful of serious issues with it, and it's because I hold it to such a high standard. I rather enjoyed it myself. It was not a case of me hate watching the show. It wasn't like I'm breaking the Kimmy Schmidt, which I did hate watch. Um, you and Evan are never going to be friends. I'm uh, sorry. I, I thought there was a, a possibility, but man, you just keep shitting in my Cheerios, dude. Sorry, dude. Uh, what can I tell you? Uh, that show, like 30 Rock and most SNL sketches, was a good idea that went to shit. Anyway. Um... So, um, I love the phrase hate watching. I don't know oh, yeah. why. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I did not do that. I liked this show. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Um, I I wish that the fight scenes were maybe a little bit shorter or fewer of them because they all started to look the same after a while. But the character development, I thought, was generally pretty good. And I really enjoyed that. But man, I'm waiting for Jessica Jones to come back. And if I have to go through Luke Cage, he was a great character. I'll go there, too. That's what I'll say. Well, there you go. I think that about wraps it up for our Daredevil talk. We'll, we won't pretty much bring this up again till the next time we get a another Netflix show. That now, if you bring me back name. for uh, Jessica Jones season two, you will have hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> a much more positive uh, version. <laughs> more positive Hunter. Okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. We're gonna hold you to that. Okay. All right. We're gonna take a quick break. Um, when we get back, we're going to quickly go over our other shows, so stay tuned. Ah, barley wine. It's not barley, it's not wine, but it's beer. And beer is good. Or at least Hunter Wilde thinks so. He's placed his focus on barley wine this month, specifically Sierra Nevada's Bigfoot Ale. And he has some rather, <laughs> and he has some rather enticing words to say about the stuff. If you're looking to expand your beer portfolio, give a read to the imbibing scribe, Squatchin. His name is Magnus Paulson. That's something you definitely won't learn in this week's episode of Waveback, uh, which is all about the fantastic toe-tapping music of VVVVVV. And that's because I repeatedly and needlessly butchered the composer's name, and he was kind enough to correct me on Twitter. He was also kind enough to say that it was a very fun episode to listen to. So if it's good enough for Magnus Paulson, it's good enough for you. Seriously, though, it's got some killer music in it. Don't miss the Waveback Podcast, episode 22, VVVVVV. Yes, that's actually what the game is called. Have you ever been listening to one of your book-loving friends, and they tell you you need to read this, that, or the other thing by some author or another? Sure you have. We've all been there. But what if you don't have time for this, that, or the other thing? What if you want to read something that's small, easily digestible, yet still gets across what the author is all about before you invest your precious time in the long opus they're known for? GeekAid's newest writer, Andrew Arminitis, has created The Warp Zone with that express purpose in mind. Don't miss his first episode in the think tank, Warp Zone, David Foster Wallace. It's the Ring the Bell season finale! J.R. Perez comes at you with all the information you need about WrestleMania 32 and all the strange and wonderful things that happen there. They're in hiatus for a bit while they prep for Season 2, so now would be a great time to catch up on the whole season and see what you missed. Plus, the director of Ring the Bell, Matt Rymo, was a guest on our Twilight Zone podcast, submitted for your approval this week. 
to discuss the episode Third from the Sun. Catch all the wrestling and retro television goodness with Ring the Bell WrestleMania 32 wrap-up and submitted for your approval episode 14, Third from the Sun. You can catch all this great stuff plus tons of other articles, videos, podcasts, and more right now at geekade.com. And we're back. Um, we lost Hunter. There was this wild break. I don't know what happened, but the line went dead. I'm just hoping he's all right. There were sounds of punching in the background. I, it was weird. I heard some clang. It was an elaborate ruse. He's actually the kingpin. <laughs> he is actually Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> we fooled you. All right, so let's get into our, our episodes. Um, let's start with Chris. Going to talk about a show you kind of like? Uh, one of my favorite shows of all time, actually. And uh, I decided it had been way too long since I've watched Law & Order, and particularly silly that I haven't really talked about it on this show, because it's one of my favorite shows ever. And, you know, we talk a lot about comic booky type stuff, and I do like shows that aren't based on comic books and superheroes. You lie! Uh, They're, they are all although, superheroes on this show. <laughs> and this has the uh, legal tie-in with our, our main topic. Indeed, week. yeah. <laughs> Very true. Um, I didn't realize right, this so, was on. Um, is this on for 20 fucking years? Holy shit. <laughs> it was yeah. on for 20 years. And for good reason. For a damn good reason. This show was, there has never been a, There's there's been varying levels of good, but in my opinion, there's never been a flat out bad episode of Law and & Order, and it ran for 20 goddamn years. And it should have run for longer, because um, the show had really started to pick up its pace uh, toward the end of season 20. And I know the ratings weren't exactly like all there, but this is NBC, and they canceled a show that had some ratings, uh, which is a big mistake for them. Um, and yeah, it's a, I, I heard recently that like anything in their lineup that doesn't have the word Chicago in it is doing horribly. Yeah, <laughs> and and like I don't know, man. The original recipe, Law and Order, is is timeless, and it is fantastic. And I really think it's time for them to bring that show back. Um, so. Before I get any further into this, um, I, I, I had an episode in mind that I really wanted to watch. Cause it's been a long time since I've watched Law and Order because, um, you know, we don't have cable anymore and it's on cable a lot and you can catch reruns. But, uh, since we don't have it anymore, um, I wanted to look for this episode. I hadn't seen it in a long time and it's from season four and season four is, uh, not streaming anywhere. In fact, none of Law and Order is streaming anywhere. Uh, it's only available through, um, you can buy a couple of seasons through iTunes mm-hmm. and you can buy like a three to four hundred dollar, um, complete series box set, uh, which is a hoot. <laughs> uh, seasons one, two, and then 16 through 20 were the only ones that were actually retailed separately. I did find out today that, um, Amazon seems to be selling some of the individual seasons, uh, packaged the way they are inside of that complete series box set separately. But even then, they're about 20 bucks a pop, which really, given the amount of content you're getting, is uh, a good deal. But that also makes it look like if you can grab that complete series set for $300, that's a really good deal. But it's still $300 to spend on a TV show, which is kind of insane. Um, this show should always be streaming. This show is like one of the most important TV shows. Like This is historically important TV. This was one of the first hour-long procedural dramas. Um, and it had the brilliant way of being sold as two shows glued together by having the format of the first half being the cops and the second half being the lawyers, which is how they sold it to the network in the first place. 
this show is genius on, and, and so important on so many levels. And the fact that it is, is not as easily accessible as it should be is ridiculous to me. So since I couldn't easily, you know, handily get my, myself to watch the episode I wanted to, I walked in my bedroom and, um, I, uh, grabbed myself one of my, uh, uh, random DVDs and I picked up season two, picked a random episode and I watched it. I do have to say just in a quick side note, um, I learned something today that I'm so sad I didn't know existed before and will be talking about on this show in the not too distant future. While I was researching this stuff, uh, this episode in particular, like, you know, people in it and whatnot, I found out that there was a Law and Order TV movie. Really? It was, it's called Exiled, a Law and Order story, or sorry, a Law and Order movie, and it is about detect- Detective Logan. And it is, I watched the first couple of minutes on, uh, YouTube, mm-hmm. where somebody has it all broken up into a bunch of different parts. Um, it is the most 90s thing I've ever seen. <laughs> But I'm so happy about it because it tells this, it tells the story of Detective Logan. He, um, he punched a senator on his last episode, I think. And, um, that, and he got basically like kicked off the force or like sent to Staten Island. Uh. And this tells the story of him kind of coming back from that. Uh, and it's not shot like a Law and Order episode at all. It's shot like a TV movie, but it's got all the people that were on the show at the time, like Jerry Orbach and Benjamin Bratt. And it's, it's so interesting. I cannot wait to watch the whole thing. Um, so yeah, look forward to that in the future. So, all right. I grabbed, uh, my, my, picked a random episode, uh, cause I don't remember episode names all that well. And so I picked up, um, let's see, uh, season two episode, something or other. Um, it's, uh, an episode's called Renunciation and it originally na- uh, episode nine. That was it. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally aired November 19th, 1991. Uh, so this is season two. This is Serena and Logan, which is Chris Noth and Paul Servino, and Robinette and Stone of the lawyer pair. It's Michael Moriarty and Richard Brooks. Fun fact, Richard Brooks also played the bounty hunter in the last episode of Firefly. Mm-hmm. Firefly is awesome. So this episode just turned out to be just 100% classic Law & Order. It plays out like any good Law & Order with fun twists and turns all throughout. Uh, it opens up with, um, you know, the crime. Dude gets a, he goes to a bodega. He's talking to some guy. Uh, he's walking his dog. He goes outside. A car guns for him, like hit and run. And like the, it was, this wasn't an accident. The car had been parked outside. Lights turn on, flies at the guy as fast as it can, and then, then, then peels off. So, um, the cops show up, you know, after the intro plays and they're, they're looking at the body and trying to figure out what's what. They go and talk to the wife. Uh, and they find, you know, she's obviously distraught. And then this conversation, it comes up that, uh, they live in a rent controlled apartment because they're like, well, how are teachers? Affording to live in this fancy schmancy building. Oh, well, they're in a rent control apartment. So my thought immediately goes to, ah, this hit and run has something to do with like a real estate thing where somebody's trying to, you know, get them out of their rent controlled apartment so they can sell the apartment or some bullshit like that. The detectives, on the other hand, to look at it from a different route, they start talking about, um, they found out this guy like had a gambling problem before. So they're like, oh, this is a hit. Um, this guy wasn't paying and somebody was, you know, put out a hit on him or something, you know, because it wasn't paying the right people back. The detectives then find out that like two days after the guy died, um, the wife used the uh, life insurance money to buy her apartment outright, uh, which obviously raises suspicions. Turns out the wife is a bit more more than meets the eye, um, and she was actually having uh, – rumors had been swirling that she was having an affair with somebody at her school. Uh, so they find out what teachers she's been hanging out with. Uh, they go and interview one of them, and uh, – 
he points her in the direction of actually it's not uh, he points the detective in the direction it's not a teacher she's actually sleeping with a student that she has been tutoring uh so this kid um this is then then turns to be like it just it goes it's what i love about law and order so much it goes from it goes from looking like it's going to be one kind of thing to something totally else by the end of it. And it just takes you on this fun ride of these unexpected twists and turns of like how crazy things get when, you know, stories like this are involved. So the kid basically um, fell in love with the teacher, but she was more or less just using the kid. Uh, and the kid killed the husband, the kid, um, you know, Oh, well you kill my husband. We'll be together forever or something like that. So they put the kid on trial or whatever. And, um, they eventually find out that the kid and the teacher, uh, they went to go talk to a hitman before. And um, the hitman uh, eventually like turned him down or something. No, the teacher said that she backed out of the deal. And then the kid was just like, no, no, I'm going to do this anyway for us, for our love. And he, he takes care of business. And um, the they eventually interview the hitman guy on the stand. And he says something that like, I think one of the detectives, I think it was Detective Logan, just doesn't quite add up. He's like, oh, I, don't, I don't know, something about what he's saying just doesn't work. And so they interview the guy again. They find out that the teacher, this guy isn't a hitman at all. He's like a loan shark. And the teacher hired him to pretend to be a hitman so that she could then pretend to call the whole thing off to convince the kid to go kill the guy, kill her husband anyway so that she could get the insurance money and buy her apartment and you know, wow. do whatever the hell this horrible <laughs> woman is is in charge of. So they eventually go and arrest the living crap out of the <laughs> out of the woman, and uh, yeah, she uh, she goes to jail slash hell eventually, <laughs> and, uh, and that's more or less how it wraps up. <coughs> God, I love this show. It's wow, it's so good. It's like you're watching all those pieces come together bit by bit. And what's fun about Law and Order, and what I appreciate and love so much about Law and Order, is that the show is always about the case. The char- like the people, the detectives and whatnot, you learn about those characters tangentially. You learn about them from uh, like just their conversations. The show is never about them. It's not the story of these detectives. The story is what's happening in that episode. It is like it is the best form of monster of the week imaginable. It is, and that's what makes the show so timeless. The fact that this the characters, and the actors, all that have changed so much over the years bears has zero bearing on the quality of the show or any sort of continuity of the show because it always it's never about them well it was for a couple of seasons there and that's when it started to get a little but um <laughs> that then they did all the spin-off shows and they made the shows more about the personal lives of those characters but what makes law and order timeless what makes my ability to go back and watch an episode from 1991 is that it's just about the 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 case like they're you're watching all this stuff in ninety one. Like there's no cell phones. People are using pay phones. Cars look different. Like New York looks so much different because it was New York in ninety one. It was so much dirtier and everything back then. It was grimy. It was just a different time. But it's like yeah, grimy. Ugh. Um, but this show always captures that feeling so well. And I mean, it also is one of the few shows that's set in New York that was actually shot in New York. So bully for law and order yet again. Um, but yeah, I, I can't recommend this show enough. I mean, if you've never really given it the time of day or if you think it's just like CSI Miami or that bullshit, it is not. Okay. Law and order I, is on such a different level. I really always thought that it was like the other crime procedurals 
where it was more about the cast of characters than the actual crime. And in the other Law and Order shows, it typically is that. Like SVU is really about Agent Benson and all that stuff, which is why I fell off of that show. But you can pick up any like you don't need to watch Law and Order from the beginning. Like that's and that's something that people can say about shows and kind of mean it. But this is absolutely true about the show. You can watch any episode of Law and Order from any season and you won't be lost because it's always <laughs> just about the cases, which was the sheer brilliance of the show. And if they do bring this show back, which I seriously hope they do, one, bring back D.A. Jack McCoy because he's amazing. <laughs> and two, don't change that aspect of it. Never make Mothership Law and Order about the detectives and, and the lawyers. Keep it about the cases. Nice. The end. <laughs> nice. I, it's funny because I was listening to a Kevin Smith podcast not too long ago, and he was, you know, going on and on about how big of a, a fan he was of Law and Order and how he actually had the opportunity to be on an episode of Law and Order. God, I remember that. And the the funny thing is, he's like he he wanted to be on the show because he was a fan, and he you know had his agent call someone, and they said, "Yeah, sure, do you want to direct an episode?" And he's like, "Oh God, no, that's too much responsibility." <laughs> and then, they're like, "Okay, so you want to be the big bad guy?" He's like, "Oh God, no, that's way too much responsibility. I want to be the guy that they come to see that leads them to the guy that gets them to the other guy that then leads them to the bad guy." Mm-hmm. So I actually just looked it up. His character's name is Tony's wife's nephew. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I remember that well. So, oh, good. I'm glad you got that. You're able to get that out there because I know you were a huge fan of Law and Order. So, very much so. I'll actually stop. I'll see what I can do about getting that. Take a look at it because I don't think I've ever watched an episode of it. Hmm. Yeah, go for it, man. It's it's great. It's really, really great. The episode I wanted to talk about was like, I'm going to watch that episode again because I've only seen that episode once or twice because I don't think they air it very often. It was. Do you own them all? I own the one. I owned the first uh, couple that they released. I own season one, two, and then fourteen. Oh, okay, uh, oh, fourteen they released out of order. Six episodes. Holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'll never run out of that shit. <laughs> no, no. Like I wish I owned the whole thing. Like I. If I if there was a point like just a luxury point where I could have owned the complete series of Law and Order, I would want to own it because it's the kind of show that I just want to have on hand. Like I want to be able to just grab a random episode and throw it on. Um, it is the ultimate background show. It really is because it, really it keeps is, yeah. it, it constantly follows the same formula, and so you don't have to like stick with it to know what's going on. You could check out, fold your laundry, check your email, come back, and oh, okay, they're arraigning the guy now. This is. I know exactly where we're at. Yeah, and sometimes, like a lot of the times, if it's an episode you haven't seen, it's enthralling. But like, if you if it's an episode you have seen before, but you haven't seen it in a while, you almost never remember, um, like what happened, what the twist is, what like, the twist is. And not only that, you never know if they win because that's what's great about this show—they don't always win. Some like a decent chunk of time, the bad guys get away with it because that's how the judicial system works. Is this the, this is the show that was based off of real? News stories? Rip from the, rip from the headlines. Rip from the yeah. headlines. That's what it was. I don't know that every single episode was, but, but um, well. that was something that they, they, I think at the very least at first, that was one of the things they really based it on. <laughs> okay, it's funny. I'm looking at, I don't even know if this is a specific episode. Uh, yeah, it was. I'm looking at the IMDb uh, season two, episode nine, the show that you watch. I'm looking at that, and the quote 
is anything worth knowing cannot be taught in a classroom. And then Paul says, Oscar Wilde, I see. Hunter Wilde, <laughs> you see. It all ties together. Sister Mary Francis, she wielded a hell of a paddle. Mm. And that was my quote from the beginning. Yes, it is. All right. Beautiful, Chris. Thank you so much. Karen. You're very welcome. Yes, indeed. Let's talk some midwife. Yes, indeed. Call the midwives back. Uh, it started last week. Uh, back on PBS. Uh, they, it is now the spring of 1961 in the show. Uh, and the show has now out uh, outpaced the source material. I believe this is based on um, some books that were originally written by a woman who actually lived and worked as a midwife in this area during this time. Interesting. Uh, that character is still uh they they have voiceovers that kind of bookend the show and uh they're narrated by an older version of the character that they started with on the show she's been off the show for a couple of seasons so it makes literally no sense that this woman is still like narrating her memories of this thing (laughs) she's not even there (laughs) (laughs) so there she's just retelling memories that aren't her own got it yeah these are things that happened at a place that i was after i was there (laughs) nice nice um but my real issue with them having kind of outpaced the source material is i'm starting to feel like they're running out of stuff to talk about um this most recent episode there were a lot of you know there's always a few stories within it they they're hitting a lot of the same notes um i and the other thing about this episode is i didn't cry once oh no i always cry i mean there's babies being born there's like you know passionate speeches and emotional moments and it's like guys a single tear come on that's not right no that's why i watch these things (laughs) there are certain shows that people who are like me who find a good cry cathartic they watch the show for a reason and i don't know maybe something's just broken in me but i feel like i you know i should have been more affected so they you know the birth of the week uh was this woman they the show decided to address this historical issue that was happening at this time women were given uh something called thalidomide Mm -hmm. i believe it was to help uh with some pregnancy symptoms Mm -hmm. and it ended up causing massive birth defects yes and like it took them a while to figure this out so there's all these kids out there that you know were born horribly deformed and nobody knew why so that was this, the birth of this week is that the woman gave birth to her daughter and she had no limbs. She had hands and feet, but no like arms and legs. Okay. Um, they, I read about it. They did like a um, prosthetic baby and then CGI'd a real baby's face on it. Oh, man. And they did a good job <laughs> because like I knew it w- wasn't a real baby with all these deformities, but like I couldn't figure out how they did it. <laughs> <laughs> um and the father was horrified and you know didn't want to let the mother back into the house with this baby and eventually he came around and saw how much his his wife loved the baby and 
he decided he loved it too and everybody lived happily ever after and they're gonna get the baby you know special care in a special hospital they i feel like they've you know the specifics of the actual thalidomide story aside they've done this before where the father is a some huge problem with you know the baby and when it's born and then eventually he comes around and love wins out overall that's not a bad story we've just seen it a bunch of times already on this show so so it's starting to retread past stories gotcha um there is there's one nurse within the uh the one of the characters uh she is a closet lesbian Mm -hmm. um in the past she has a sort of a girlfriend i mean they're not like out but they're together um and then her girlfriend was in an accident uh and she could have died didn't die her mother came and was like i'm gonna take her home and take care of her and they had to get the girlfriend girlfriend was like no you have to stand up to your mother and stay here in london and be with me she eventually did that um she got and so at the start of this episode she just got cleared by the hospital that she's healthy enough to work again because she's also a nurse Mm -hmm. and um the mother was like i still don't want you to stay here and work as a nurse because there's nowhere for you to live where someone can take care of you. Um, and so it was a yet another round of back and forth of, I want you to stay here and be with me. No, my mother is the boss of me and she's going to take me home. You have to stand up for yourself. Eventually they're all having Easter lunch at the, um, I forget what the fucking name of this place is. It's like where the nuns live. The convent. convent. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're all having lunch there, and they invite the girlfriend as a friend, and they invite her mother. And the nuns are like, hey, your daughter can stay here. And so if anything happens to her, we'll take care of her. <laughs> and I was like, well, all right. You know, <laughs> I hate to use this phrase, but divine intervention. <laughs> and so I hope to God we're off this friggin' roller coaster of like things tearing the lesbians apart because like good for them i want them to be together i want them to be happy but i want them to get on with it already <laughs> move it along people <laughs> and then kind of the third thing was uh with another one of the nurses she um had some alcoholism that she was dealing with in the last season that she finally like admitted to and so i guess in the break between seasons <laughs> As a way to deal with her alcoholism, she joined this, like, exercise class, mm-hmm. and, like, it was, like, a cult for her. <laughs> Some people are just like that with exercise, where it's just like, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever, and I have to be here and all the time. And so she got certified to be an instructor for this exercise class and started leading her own class, and that involved a lot of, like, she she got her other friends who, who are also nurses to come to her class. And so that, like, affected the staffing of the midwives. And she was running around in uh, what is considered provocative exercise (laughs) wear for the time, which was a leotard and tights. Um, But there was a newspaper photographer in her classes, and so there were pictures taken of the nurses in their 
you know, scantily clad. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, she ends up butting heads with the head nun. And she's like, you know, you know, we have to reflect a certain image, blah, blah, blah. And it kind of, I don't know. This is another conflict they've come into a lot is like, these young nurses, they live there at the convent, but they're not re- they're not bound to the religion, but they are always running into conflict with living with these nuns who, you know, are obviously very devout and have very strict ways of being. And, like, those two ways of life are constantly butting up against each other. But again, we've seen it before. Oh, right, right. The only thing that... Um, the I guess the bright spot that came out of that conflict to me um, is is when they have this meeting between the nurse and the head nun. Um, Trixie is her name. Uh, she gave this big empowered speech because as she's leading the exercise class, one of the people in it, when it's just one of the older ladies from the neighborhood, they're all like, oh, like exercise class is kind of a new thing in this area. Like nobody's ever heard of it before so they all kind of go and they're like whatever this will be fun mm-hmm. one of the older ladies um has an accident uh during the class and she trixie goes to check on her and turns out she has a medical problem in the gynecological area and she's just like the lady's like whatever it's normal everything's fine and she's like no i'm a nurse we're gonna go take you to a doctor and it sort of illuminates this problem that all these women in the area, they're, they're all poor and kind of, you know, um, socially, you know, they don't have a lot of rights or anything like that. So, um, so when they have problems like that, they just, nobody deals with them. They don't, they don't know enough about their own bodies. And so this is what is brought to light by this, um, this issue and so when Trixie goes up against the head nun, she's like, this is why this is important because, you know, I'm helping. I'm not just doing a silly exercise class. I'm helping women learn about their bodies and you know, take control of them in a way that they haven't had before. And I thought that was at least something I hadn't seen before on the show. And I, I appreciated that. Nice. But, I, you know, there's... Just wasn't a winner for ca- you? <laughs> I like the character still. It's they're still enjoyable to watch, but like I said, they're retreading a lot of the same issues. They need to in- inject some freshness into the show. Um, that's right. I'm gonna say it. Call the midwife needs a douche, <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was just making sure you guys are still awake. Yeah, no, we were here. I was here. (laughs) (laughs) All right, very good. Well, you know, they all can't be winners. Hopefully, you know, it'll turn around and we'll get some, you know, new, more creative storylines for you. All right. um, I'm going to try to go through this as quickly as possible. I watched the made-for-TV movie, The Trial of the Incredible Hulk. Uh, This came out in 1989. Uh... Britain, uh, starring Bill Bixby, also directed by Bill Bixby. Uh, he plays David Banner. Excuse me, David Bruce Banner. This is the story of uh, David getting arrested, and what happens to a guy. To, what happens to a Hulk when you put him in jail? 
Uh, the movie starts off where, he, you know, David has done his wandering thing. He ends up on a farm. It seems like it's like a dirt farm because what he's doing is shoveling mud. Uh, at the very beginning, he's shoveling, shoveling. He goes to walk out of the pit. I guess it's like lunchtime or end of day. Some guy shoves him, tries to pick a fight with him for no apparent reason. We don't know why. Uh, we wait for the inevitable turn from David to the Hulk, but that doesn't happen. He, re- he restrains himself, and he feels that it's time to move on. So the movie actually starts with Banner moving to the big city. Now, I watched this ju- today. And I watched this is the second time I watched it because I was trying to figure out where they actually were. I don't know what city they were in. And I looked at cop cars. I looked at street signs. I watched for all the minutiae in the background. Never once did it say what city they were in. But uh, David Banner, I'm just going to say Banner from now on because don't want to get the comic book fans confused. Uh, Banner rents a, like a, a weekly hotel shitty room and he goes to hit the streets to go find a job um while he's looking for a job there's one of those where like the camera's following him as he's walking down the block and then picks up another character that's walking in a different direction so the camera starts following that cat that guy and he walks into a jewelry store and they they like this most intricate robbery i've ever seen because there was like 15 people in the jewelry store and they were all in cahoots and they rob this the this the safe that's in the back but it's everything is being videotaped and being fed to this monitor system that's in this guy's office and the guy's telling him all right you know empty out box one through seven a through y blah 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 tell him specifically what to do and it it turns out that it's wilson fisk now wilson fisk in this iteration is uh he seems like a media mogul um very like, I want to say, like, this was an 80s movie. There was a lot of 80s here, but... Um, a lot of cocaine. It just- yeah, when I saw the image that Chris used for our podcast tonight, I was like, and you said it was from the 89. I'm like, holy shit, that late? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, this, the, Wilson Fisk was played by John Ray's Davies. Um, <laughs> I, I, you may not know the name, but you would definitely recognize the guy. Oh, I know John Ray's Davies. Okay. <laughs> you know, friggin' Sala from Indiana Jones. Yes. Gimli, son of Gloin. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but he plays, it seems like he's a media mogul that's sort of in the mob, but it's kind of hard to tell. He's all about the video, and his main plan is to get all the families together to join into one conglomerate and that he would run it. Um, but at the end of the robbery, they do this weird sort of handoff where the, the, the jewels get passed off to some random out on the street that's all part of the plan and then everybody just scatters and two of the criminals end up on the train where banner is he's riding the train as well after a long day of job hunting and one of the criminals is fucking nuts certifiably insane he starts whacking out on the train hitting hard on this on this one girl and she's like begging for help like she's looking at, at at banners, like just help me, just please get. And she tries to defend herself, and he's getting all rapey on her. It was really uncomfortable, and they they tell Banner to you know fucking bounce, get lost. And he starts to leave, and then he turns. He's like, leave her alone. 
just he, he didn't say it, but it, it would be at the point of the show where he goes, you know, don't make me angry. Um, but they knock the, the snot out of him and throw him halfway across the train car, and that's what kicks it. So we get our first look at Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk. Uh, I'm going to say about 15 minutes into the movie. Uh, he beats up the two criminals, but right before he attacks the second guy, the second guy pulls a gun, and the girl kicks the guy's hand, which makes him shoot out a window, and that bullet hits a guy out on the train ramp, like, you know, where everybody is standing. So, And that random dies. Okay, so Lou Ferrigno, the Hulk, he he runs and he's running down the the train track, and the and all of a sudden he calms down enough where he turns back into Bruce or David, and the cops find him shirtless with ripped pants. Nobody knows that the Hulk was there. He, he's just a strange dude sitting there with no shirt and ripped pants. He gets arrested. So now he's in jail. He, he, he told his, he gave his statement that he just tried to help the girl and there were these two guys, but the girl is, her story is saying that, that Banner attacked her and that he's lying and she's in the hospital because she got knocked unconscious in the fight. But while, while, while Banner's in jail, his lawyer comes to, to represent him and it's Matt Murdock. <laughs> that's, that's right daredevil himself and the reason daredevil takes the case is because he knows that the two guys that were implicated in the crime are part of wilson fisk's wilson fisk's crew and he's trying to tie all this stuff to take wilson fisk down uh they have the little confrontation in jail he's like i can't be you know banner's like you can't put me on the stand you know it's, it wouldn't be good it's not going to go well i can't do it you have to i can't you have to and then we do this hard cut to banner on <laughs> on the stand and the prosecutor the prosecuting attorney is yelling at him the the the, the judge is yelling at him banging the gavel murdoch is yelling at him telling him he has to answer the question murdoch's assistant is yelling at him telling him he has to answer the question like there's like 47 people yelling at him to answer the question and all of a sudden he hulks out for the second time in about a half hour now he hulks out in the middle of the courtroom and he just he fucking tears the place apart. At one point in time he lifts the jury box and flips it over with people still inside of it. Awesome. <laughs> now, I made mention about this beforehand before we started, but the the nineteen eighty nine movie Trial of the Incredible Hulk is the first time we get a Stan Lee cameo. <laughs> Stanley is one of the jurors that gets flipped over in the jury box. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um so the this little scene ends with the Hulk wrapping his hands around the prosecuting attorney's throat strangling him. And then we hard cut to Banner waking up in jail. So it was a dream sequence. Thank God. Um we find out that the woman who was on the tra train is being threatened by Wilson Fisk to, to tell her, you know, the side of the story that they made up to point everybody at, at Banner or they'll kill her family. Um, she goes along with it, but then Wilson still sends people to kill her. Um, that plan gets foiled by Daredevil because he shows up 
at the hospital where the crazy nurse is going to inject her with air. Like, you know, the pull the syringe back and plunge her. Oh, yeah. She's just going to stick her in the throat and fill it with air. Um, Holy this is shit. The yeah, this is, this is kind of a rough show. Um, this is the first time we see Daredevil in costume. He is wearing a, like, fully black spandex tight. It's just uncomfortable. Hmm. Um, it's reminiscent to what we saw in season one of the Netflix show, but worse. Um, <laughs> he thwarts that crime, beats the shit out of the nurse, saves the girl. The girl gets put in protective custody. And just It seems like they just put her on another floor at the hospital. Uh, they then do another little talky-talk with the Hulk, where they show he gets, he almost gets stabbed and gets confronted by like the police chief. Later on that night is when he has his dream. He hulks out in his jail cell and breaks out of jail. <laughs> I've got to see this thing. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Hulk breaks out of jail. Th then he goes to see Daredevil. And somehow Banner and Matt Murdock end up together at Matt's apartment or his home, which was very lovely, Ooh. very nice house. Lots and lots of windows, which I didn't understand, but I just let it go. Um, they, he, they, you know, they, they, they exchange information. Daredevil tells Banner that he's Matt Murdock and you have to come with me and we have to save this girl and take down Wilson Fisk and, I've got inside information so we can do this. And Banner's like, no, I can't do that, dude. It's it's not going to work. I, I can't control it. So they get a tip that the girl was kidnapped yet again, taken to a warehouse. Bitches get kidnapped. <laughs> yeah, all the all throughout the show. So she is now being held captive by Wilson Fisk in a warehouse. And the plan is that Wilson Fisk has to kill Daredevil to prove to the other crime bosses that he is man enough to run the whole show. <sighs> so he has led Daredevil to this, this, this warehouse. There's lots of flashy lights and, you know, she's in a spotlight. It's, it's all very much leading to the fact like they don't know he's blind, but conveniently enough, they start playing this really loud, obnoxious, screechy music, which fucks with his senses and then they get the upper hand and beat the ever living shit out of daredevil and wilson fisk is filming this whole thing and to show the, the the other mob bosses but while all this is going on banner shows up and he sees daredevil getting the shit kicked out of him through a window in a door and he's you know doing that banging like hey hey and then we see the eyes. So that's the third Hulk change in a matter of an hour. <laughs> Breaks through the door, kicks the ever-loving shit out of people, and saves Daredevil. Okay. So the girl gets taken back to Wilson, Wilson Fisk's apartment complex thing, penthouse, and they reconvene, you know, Daredevil has to heal up for a couple of days, and then they go out and attack. And the way they attack is Daredevil sort of just zip lines across the building, 
and Banner walks in through the front fucking door. (laughs) 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 And he was just shy of like... Walked past like 17 guards, but nobody paid no attention to him. Okay, so now this is... Of course, they're breaking in to save the girl on the day that all the mob bosses show up. That 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 Wilson Fisk is going to prove by through some trick photography. Like, he filmed the whole thing. We all know that Daredevil isn't dead, but the video he's going to show the mob bosses ends just before Daredevil gets saved. So it looks like he's dead. Um... So he's convincing all the mob bosses. They're like, yeah, yeah, we're all on board. Sounds good. Sounds good. And and then all of a sudden, Daredevil breaks in, threatens everybody, beats a couple of guys up, and chases Wilson out to the, the roof. Banner saves the girl, gets her out. Murdoch goes to the, the roof to, to chase. We watch fucking Wilson Fisk run into a little built little side like shed that's on top of the the roof and we hear this rumbling and this lasers and electric and shit and all of a sudden the walls fall down and fucking wilson fist takes off in like a hovercraft (laughs) (laughs) it looked like what is that that did he call it a skiff what's the thing that luke rode like at the very beginning of like episode three that he rides into town the speeder he wrote it he took off on a speeder wow. off the roof, just you know, went down the block and hung a left, and that was it. <laughs> Wait, that's the end of it? The that is the end Critical. that is just shy of the end. What we have is the talky talk at the end about, well, we'll get him next time. You know, you could stay, we can help each other. No, I'm gonna go to this town. There's a there's a lab opening up that's you know working with radiation maybe i can help myself star labs and and <laughs> then we have the scene of banner walking down the street to the bum, 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 and credits <laughs> oh my god <laughs> okay now i put that together in about 15 minutes the movie feels like it goes bad goes by that fast <laughs> Jesus. so much shit happens so quickly and it is so fucking entertaining it's a highly suggested watch. <laughs> Check it out. And if you didn't know about the trial of the Incredible Hulk, that means you may not know about the return of the Incredible Hulk. And yes, motherfuckers, that features Thor. So <laughs> I knew about that one. <laughs> Our two made-for-TV movies starring the Hulk. All right. I'm done. We're done. <laughs> Let's wrap this shit up, Chris. <laughs> We'll wrap this shit up by saying that you, yes, you, can get in touch with us at mail at geekade.com as well as all flavors of social media that we inhabit. You can like us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram, at Geekade. You can subscribe to our YouTube and Twitch channels for all our latest video content and follow us on Twitter at the underscore Geekade. Or you can even follow this show specifically at Twepcast. You can also find us individually on Twitter. I'm at Geekade Chris. That's Geekade K-R-I-S. Evan is at Geekade underscore Evan. And Karen is at Shoot underscore the underscore moon. If you're interested in more information about anything we discussed tonight, be sure to check out the show notes. And while you're at it, you can also subscribe to this and any of our other wonderful podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher. Or if you're super nice, you can leave us a review because any and all feedback is welcome and appreciated. Again, always remember to keep your eyes on Geekade.com where we post something new every single day. Beautiful. Okay, quick recap. Um even though you may not have guessed it, I'm pretty sure we're all on board for Daredevil Netflix. Absolutely. Series. Okay. Um, 
call the midwife, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to quit watching, but <laughs> I sure hope they do something new soon. Okay. Law and order. Absolutely. All right. And I highly suggest any of the original Incredible Hulk series starring uh, Lou Ferrigno and Bill Bixby, especially the made-for-TV movies. There's something special. So uh, I think that about wraps it up. Once again, I'd like to thank Mr. Hunter Wilde for joining us this week. Uh, if you'd like to read more of his stuff, you can check it out on our website. It's under The Imbibing Scribe. And uh, no matter what he thinks about Daredevil, the man does know his beer. So take a look at his articles over there. Uh, from all of us here at this week's episode, I'm Evan. I'm Karen. Chum chum. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Holy shit on a cracker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh my fucking God, exhausted. In the middle of- <laughs> I had a lot to say. Quick question. How, how are you butchering it? Plus on. It's way to go. You call it Magnus Fish? It was it was very I mean like it's got one of those weird little like louts or whatever on it. And I just kind of put the L and the O in the wrong place and but yeah, it's pronounced Paulson. He's like, dude, it's Paulson. <laughs> well, Joe, thank you for joining us. You are obviously welcome to stick around, though I don't recommend it. <laughs> are you guys just gonna bitch about me now? Is that what's gonna happen? No. I could I could see that being, but maybe there's a couple. Okay. Anyway, I just thought that was funny because literally my name and I get in the car and she says to me, without me having said anything, who did he sound like? <laughs> and I said, Evan. And she goes, I know. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so you have a voice doppelganger. Nice. Nice. So. I'll have to go hunt him down. Yes, indeed. And <laughs> there could be only, only one. one. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> And this concludes our broadcast day.